Good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. It's good to see all of you today. Well, let's open with a word of prayer. God, we are so grateful for each other, God, and and we know that church is not about a building, but it's about believers (laughs) gathering together in the name of Jesus, encouraging one another helping one another, holding each other accountable, and most importantly, sharing life together. God, we are united in Jesus. God, I pray that we would grow together in the power of your Holy Spirit to know you more, to trust you more, and believe in you more, and love you more, and out of that, to love each other more. God, I pray that You would speak through me today. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide all of us in understanding uh, and that you would show us today what you want to show us. But more than anything, God, no matter what I say or no matter what anybody here hears, I pray that Jesus is pointed to you. We love you, God, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So you probably know this, but your worship guide has a little blank spot in the back. So if you ever want to take notes, feel free to take notes. If you don't like to take notes, that's okay. But just wanted to let you know that if you ever want to take notes. Well, we're in our last week in Ecclesiastes. So the title of the series has been Smoke Detector. Now, why is it called that? Well, doesn't Ecclesiastes often say Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And it lists out many different things that it says are vanity. But the Hebrew word that we translate as vanity is hevel. And it means smoke or vapor. So it's saying all of these things are smoke. All of these things are vapor. What does that mean? It means that we can't hold on to them. We can't grasp onto them. So, of course, we say vanity. It's meaningless. You can't hold on to it. And like we talked about last week, you can't really see very well through it either. So when life is meaningless, it's hard to find anything to hold on to. It's hard to see where you're going. So what does Jesus have to say about meaninglessness? Well, we'll, we'll get to that. But just to refresh on Ecclesiastes, it's called Ecclesiastes because that's the Greek word that the Hebrew word Kohelet gives us. Kohelet means teacher or preacher. And so when they had Greek Bibles or Greek Old Testaments, Ecclesiastes was the Greek word. So that's where we're getting that word. Ultimately, we're learning from a teacher who says that he is a king in Jerusalem. So that's who's teaching us right now. That's who's teaching us their wisdom. And we're almost done with the book of Ecclesiastes. We're on chapter 11, and of course you can in your free time read all of Ecclesiastes if you want to, and I would definitely recommend it to you. But today we're in chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. So chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. So the teacher says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, 
for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen the TV show Hoarders? Maybe not. It's a show on A&E. Well, maybe you've seen the show Hoarding. I I can't remember what channel that's on. Maybe TLC. But we all know what hoarding is, right? Hoarding is when we hold on to things that we don't need. We hold on to too many things. And if you ever watched the show, it's kind of hard to watch either of these shows because people are kind of walking, trying to, trying to tiptoe around all this stuff. They don't really have a house. They just have kind of a landfill of stuff. And so some of us know what it's like to be a hoarder. I know for myself, sometimes it's hard not to be a hoarder. Maybe when I'm cleaning up, I may think, oh, I, I need this uh, baseball that I got as my game ball in third grade. Oh, I need this blue ribbon Oh, I need this or that, this old iPod, whatever it is. Sometimes we find meaning in our possessions. And when we find meaning in our possessions, it's kind of hard to give them away to people. But what does the teacher tell us? He says, cast your bread upon the waters. And after many days, you will find it. So what is the teacher challenging? He's challenging this smoke or vapor that we can find meaning in what we own or meaning in our possessions. You know, if I have bread, I may say, no, teacher, I'm not going to cast my bread upon the waters. This is mine. I worked hard for it. But no, the teacher says, give a portion to seven or even eight. If life and the meaning of life is found in what we own, then the teacher would not say to be willing to give some of it away. But the teacher tells us to not hoard our bread. Do not hoard what we own. And the first thing that we see in this passage is that giving is an act of faith. So what is he saying? He's saying, don't hold on to your bread. Give it up. Give it away. But sometimes we read the Bible very literally Is it telling us to actually go out to a body of water and throw bread out onto the water and that it's going to float towards you someday? 
No, sometimes the Bible uses figures of speech just like we use figures of speech. So this seemed to be a proverb. This seemed to be one of those sayings that they had that helped them to understand the idea of giving away. So we don't really want to take it literally. I hope we don't leave service today saying, oh, I got to go throw some bread out onto the water. No, that's not really what the teacher is trying to say. He's trying to talk about something deeper than just bread. And so when we talk about giving, I'm afraid to narrow it down because a lot of times when somebody talks about giving, our first question is, okay, how much do you want me to give? Just tell me how much you want me to forgive. That's what Peter did with Jesus. Jesus said, forgive. Peter said, okay, how many times do I have to forgive? You know, we do that all the time. We want to know the bare minimum. I remember talking to someone uh, a couple years ago who told me, I, I can't afford to give money away, but I want to. And I said, well, can you start with a, with a penny and just work your way up from there? Because we often want to hear exactly how much to give. But really, what Ecclesiastes is pointing us to is an attitude and a life of generosity, of not holding on to everything that we have, but being willing to give it up and not saying that you have to have a specific number. Now, if you do have a number in mind, that's cool, but I'm not here to tell you exactly how much to give away, but I am hopefully going to tell you the value of being able to give away. So sometimes when we think of giving away, well, Ecclesiastes tells us give food away. We may think of giving money away. But like I said, I don't want to narrow giving too much. We can give time away. We can give resources away. Well, I remember in seminary, one of my best friends, he was a chaplain at one of the dorms at Baylor. And one time we went to Barnes & Noble together, started looking at some books. And he picked up a book and he, says, one of, he said, one of my students is graduating next week. Uh, I'm going to get this for her. I said, oh, right, you're going to give her a book for graduation? He said, yeah, every one of my students, when they graduate, I like to give them a book. Now, giving is an act of faith. Does he, is he sure that they're going to read that book? No, he's hoping that they'll read that book. He's hoping that it will help them, and he believes that it can help them. I mean, why give something away? Why spend your money on something for somebody unless you had faith that it was going to help them. It was an act of faith for him to give that book away to one of his students. And it's an act of faith to cast your bread upon the waters. I mean, why doesn't the teacher say, just give your bread to somebody? Well, then we feel like we have control. But when he says, cast your bread upon the waters, we say, no, I I don't want to throw my bread on the water. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what's going to happen to it. But the teacher is saying, Be willing to give away even if you can't exactly see what's going to happen to it, even if it's unrecognizable when it gets back to you. Because if we are throwing our bread out into the water, do you think it's going to look the exact same when it returns to us? I doubt it. I highly doubt that. But what does he say? Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days it will return to you. What does that mean? He's saying when you give away it's not a waste when you give away it's not like you'll never see any good come out of it yeah you will see good come out of it it will return to you maybe not the way 
you anticipated it coming back to you. And we know a lot of people don't ever see the good that they do. We know that Moses did not get to enter the promised land with the Israelites. Martin Luther King Jr. Day is Monday. He said, I may not get to see how things turn out with you. And we know that he didn't. So a lot of times we don't always get to see the fruits of our labor, what we've worked for. But we can know that if we cast our bread upon the waters, it's going to do good. God's going to do good things out of it and from it that we could not do on our own. But doesn't it take faith to throw your bread out upon the water? Doesn't it take faith to give something away, not knowing exactly what the outcome is going to be? Well, in John chapter 6, and keep a thumb or paper or something in John chapter 6, because we're going to be in John chapter 6 for the rest of our time together. But I want us to look at John 6, verses 1 through 15 right now. So in this passage, we see that the disciples of Jesus struggled with the same thing that we struggled. They struggled with hoarding their bread, hoarding their possessions. But Jesus shows us that it takes faith to give away our possessions. Let's look at verse 1 through 15. Now it says, Jesus went away to the other side of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now he said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? (laughs) Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So there's a lot in that passage. We just read 15 verses. But do you see in that passage how the disciples did not not want to cast their bread, their literal bread upon the waters? They did not want to give their bread away. And it's very understandable why they didn't want to. There's only so much and there's so many people But what did Jesus want them to see? Jesus wanted them to see that giving to others is an act 
of faith. They said, I don't understand how giving this bread is going to help these people. But Jesus said, it's okay if you can't see how it's going to help the people. It's okay if you can't understand what's going to happen or see the outcome. But what I do want you to do is put your faith in me. Put your faith in what I can do with the bread, what I can do with the fish. And we see in this passage that God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Sometimes we say, I I can't give because I'm just not good enough. I can't give because I don't have enough. But when we say, "I'm, I'm going to give, it doesn't seem like much to me, but God, I know that you can use it. That is an act of faith. And the second thing that we see in the passage today is that giving to others puts us into the game. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Let's look at verses two through four again in Ecclesiastes. He says, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not weep. So we see the game of life happening. What does he say? Well, he says, give a portion to seven or eight. I mean, don't the clouds give their rain? They don't hoard it to themselves. Now, the clouds give rain, but after time, it returns back to them. You know, a tree may fall to the south or to the north, but that's what trees do, and people are going to use that tree for whatever they need from that tree. He's saying the tree doesn't just sit on the sidelines and the clouds don't sit on the sidelines. No, they do their part. He says your part is to give a portion to seven or eight. Give a, That's a lot of people. Now, he's not giving us a specific number. He's saying seven or eight or whatever you decide is right for you, but you need to give away. You need to help because disaster is going to come one day. And don't you want people to help you in the day of disaster? So isn't it wise to help people in their day of disaster? Isn't it right to help others by giving to them? But he says you can't give to others if you don't have anything. So he says you need to work. You need to do work in order to have But he also says, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. In other words, I can look at the clouds all day. I can observe and regard the wind all I want. But if I do that, I'm not really going to be able to give to anybody. I'm not going to be able to help anybody. Sometimes my friend Jordan, you've all met him before. He came here one time. And uh, that was really awesome of him to come and support me. And so sometimes I love to go and uh, go to his basketball games because he's a high school basketball coach. And that's a way, you know, to see how his games are going. And I enjoy it a lot. But what do you think would happen if I tried to go out onto the court? What do you think would happen if I was like, I'm trying to help Jordan. I'm trying to help his team win. No, the referees would throw me out. Because I'm only supposed to stay on the stands. Some of the players are on the sidelines, but the people who affect the score are in the game. They're in the game, and the teacher says, you can't help unless you're in 
the game. I can root for Jordan's team all I want to. I can hope they win all I want to. But at the end of the day, I'm in the stands. I'm observing the win. I'm regarding the clouds. But I'm not helping. And a lot of times we view ourselves that way. We say, God, you're doing good work. You're giving and you're helping. But we say, God, I'm happy to stand on the sidelines. I'm happy to sit up in the stands. And God says, no, I want you in the game. I want you to join in on this. And we say, no, no, God, I'm happy uh, in the stands, on the sidelines. But when we're in trouble, when there are times of disaster, do we want other people saying, no, no, I'm happy in the stands. I like the sidelines. No, we expect God to work through people helping us. And so the teacher says, if you are going to actually join in the work of God, then how can you expect to just sit on the sidelines and look at the clouds all day long? No, reap so that you can sow and sow that so you can have, but also that you can share. Jesus repeated what the teacher said to do. How? Because he entered the game. Not only did he enter the game of life, but even when he was here, he did not sit on the sidelines. So I said we're going to be in chapter 6 of John. So let's turn back there to verses 16 through 21. Verse 16 through 21. Now this is right after Jesus has fed thousands of people with bread and fish. So that was pretty awesome. But now the disciples, they're going off to another place. And they go alone. They go without Jesus. So verse 16, when evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So you see what happens here? Jesus could just stand on the sidelines. He could just stand on the shore. But no, Jesus said, I'm going out into the sea because the sea is rough and my disciples are scared and they're worried. I'm going to give myself to comfort them. Now we may say, Jesus, it's just the sea. Disciples, it's just the sea. But to them, the sea represented chaos. Going out into the sea was scary. And right now, their fears are being realized because the sea is getting rough. But Jesus goes out into what they would consider chaos to be with the disciples, to give himself to them, to encourage them, and to help them. Did Jesus pay somebody to go help them? No. Did Jesus send them um, something on Amazon to help them? No. So you see, we can help people with money, but we have to widen our view of help. Help can take so many different forms, but no matter what form it takes, it's going to cost us something. It's going to take sacrifice. And Jesus entered 
the game. He didn't stay on the sidelines. He entered the game because he knew that giving to others puts us in the game. And if you want to be a part of the game, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you can't stand on the sidelines. The teacher says, reap and sow rather than just watch in the stands. So giving to others is an act of faith. It puts us into the game, but it also points to the true giver. Giving to others points to the true giver. What does verse 5 say in Ecclesiastes? It says, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So we say, I don't want to cast my bread out upon the waters. I don't want to give because I don't know how God's going to use it. But the teacher says, you don't know how God gives life life to people who are being born. That doesn't mean you don't want people to be born anymore. Just because you don't understand that doesn't mean you don't give life. And when we realize how much we've been given, then it helps us to give, doesn't it? I remember in my missions class at ETBU, my missions professor, he would say when talking about missions, you are blessed to be a blessing. And I remember a lot of my classmates would repeat that to themselves. It was a great reminder for everybody. We even see it in the Bible. It says, to whom much has been given, much will be expected. Now, if we haven't been blessed, if we haven't been given to, then what motivation do we have to give to others, to help others? But now when we see that we are actually blessed, then we can say, I want to be a blessing to others. In other words, when we see how much we've been helped, we will want to help. When we see how much has been given to us by the real true giver, then we will want to also give. Now, if we think that giving is all up to us, then the teacher reminds us that it's not all up to us. And Jesus also reminds us that it's not all up to us. Let's look at our last passage in John chapter 6. It's John chapter 6, verse 25 through 35. So we're skipping ahead a little bit. But now that they've gotten off the boat, they've walked a little ways, The people who got food from Jesus, they've walked across the sidelines, around the shore, and they found the disciples in Jesus. And what does it say happened? Well, verse 25 says, When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Well, they just saw him feed 5,000 of them with a few loaves of bread and some fish, but that wasn't enough. 
So they say, what signs do you do that we may believe in you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're talking about their ancestors who wandered around the wilderness and they got food from God when it fell from the heavens. So they say, our ancestors got a sign from God because Moses gave us food to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So what's happening here? They're wanting food, and of course they're wanting food. Food is scarce in that time. And Jesus just gave them the biggest meal they've ever had in their entire lives. So of course they're coming to Jesus for more food, and they're even trying to trick him into giving more food. Show us another sign. Oh, you have bread? Give us more bread. We want more and more food. And Jesus says, okay, it's good that you want food. It's okay. It's normal that you want food. But don't base your meaning, your life, on food that you constantly have to eat over and over again. But rather, let the meaning of your life be the bread that you eat once, that you have once, and it satisfies you Forever, And they say, oh, that sounds really good. Give us some more of this bread to eat. Jesus said, I am this bread. I am the bread of life. In other words, I can do for you. I can give you life that food can't give you. I can give you meaning and purpose that your possessions can't give you. All of that is good, but at the end of the day, it's smoke and it's vapor. I'm the real thing. I am the real, true bread. It wasn't just because Moses was great that you got bread. It's because God fed the people. And God is feeding you in a new and a better way through me because I am God in the flesh who has come to find you. So the teacher tells us to work, to give and rejoice. We see in verse 6 through 8, It says, in the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So he says, do all this stuff. Enjoy your youth, enjoy your life, enjoy your food. Light is sweet. The sun provides that light, so enjoy it. But know that dark days are coming. And, and all of this, it doesn't really matter. Anyways, it's, it's meaningless. But what did Jesus do? How did Jesus respond to this? Because everybody had this view until Jesus experienced the ultimate day of darkness. He said the days of darkness are many and they are coming, but Jesus took on the ultimate day of darkness when he went to the cross. 
And that doesn't mean that we don't experience days of darkness. That doesn't mean that we're not ever sad or hurting. But you know what it does mean? It means that we have meaning. We don't have the sun for part of the day. We have the sun for all of the day. He says, light is sweet. And the sun provides that. But Jesus said, I am the light. When we see Jesus, we have the light. Jesus took on the darkness that we see in Ecclesiastes so that we could have his light. And how did he do that? He did it on the cross. We've been saying it a bunch today, cast your bread upon the waters. But didn't Jesus say, I am the bread of life? And didn't we say that water represented chaos? Don't you see that Jesus was the bread of life casted out upon the waters? When Jesus was on the cross, he was going into the ultimate chaos, not just of physical pain, not just of emotional pain, but spiritual pain also. He went into the deepest chaotic pain, experienced the most horrifying sense of meaninglessness so that we could have meaning, so that we could have life, so that we could have him so that we could experience what is solid, so that we could look forward to something rather than the teacher always looking back. Jesus was the bread of life cast out upon the waters. But didn't the teacher say, cast your bread out upon the waters for after many days you will find it. And sometimes we think that about Jesus. You know, someday I will find Jesus. But was Jesus ever found by anybody in the Bible? No, Jesus found people. Yes, people look for Jesus. We see the disciples running off trying to find Jesus in his tomb, but, oh, they don't find him. It's not like Jesus is playing hide-and-go-seek. No, Jesus always shows up. Jesus always finds us. Why? Because Jesus is the great shepherd. We're not the great shepherd going out and looking for Jesus. No, Jesus is the great shepherd going out and looking for us in finding us. Jesus was cast out onto the cross. Why? So that after many days, after three days, he could find us. God gives to us, not just manna from heaven, not just food, but his very self, even his own son. He does not hold back his body or his blood from you. The Bible says, you were bought with a price. Not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of God's own Son. But it doesn't say, hog onto this, hoard this. No, it says, share this. This is good news. Share your good news. Don't hoard it. Share it. Jesus gave to us so that we could give to others, not so that we could just hold on to it. All that Jesus gives to us is great, but we, we weren't meant to let it pile up in our house. No, we were meant to share it. We were meant to give it away because Jesus gives us enough. Didn't you see how much food he gave? They had to take the rest away in baskets so they wouldn't waste any. Jesus gives us more than we can comprehend, more than we can understand, but we are blessed to be a blessing to whom much has been given, much will be expected, and we have been given 
more than our fair share through Jesus. We've been given more than enough. So we don't have to go give anything, but we get to. We get to follow in Jesus' footsteps. We get to join in the work of God and what he is doing. Because the bread of life was casted out upon the waters. That is why we can cast our bread upon the waters. We can give to others because God gives to us not just a little bit, all of himself. He's given all of himself to us in Jesus. And that can be our drive, our engine, our motivation to giving. Not out of obligation, not because someone preached and told you to, not because some Bible verse told you to, but because God gave himself up for you, to you. And because of that, we can look to Jesus on the cross and say, Jesus, you did this for me. You love me. I want to share this love with others, whether it's giving money, giving clothes, giving food, giving warmth, or even just my time or listening ear, whatever that is. God, I don't want to be a hoarder anymore because you are not a hoarder with me because you gave everything up for me and to me. I want to give my bread and what I have to others because it all points to you, the true giver and the great giver. Let's pray. God, sometimes we are intimidated when we talk about taking action, God, but we don't have to be intimidated, God, because you're God with us. You're God with us through everything, and you only want what's best for us, God. And when we think hoarding is best for us, sometimes we have to realize that, no, it's actually what's worse for us. But you, you even told us it is better to give than to receive. And so, God, we're thankful to receive you, but, but out of that, we want to give and share and love not because we love first, not because we had a great plan of sharing, but because you loved us first and you shared with us and you gave your very self to us. You did not even hold back your son. We thank you, God, so much for loving us. And God, I pray that the love that Jesus showed on the cross would be the engine that drives our hearts into action for you. We love you and it's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen.